Hi, everybody. Did everybody want to start singing? How many of you, this may age you a little bit, date you a little bit, how many of you guys grew up watching some Mr. Rogers? Yeah, a lot of us. How many of you, your kids now watch Daniel Tiger? <laughs> the the spinoff. There's a spinoff of, uh, well, spinoffs don't work, you know what I mean? But this one did. Um, man, how many of you guys watched the documentary that was, that was called Won't You Be My Neighbor? It was a documentary that Mr. Rogers, nobody? Anybody? Seven of us. Four. Four of us, I think. Um, it's really, really good stuff, but the Mr. Rogers actually incredible story about his show um, obviously helped children, aimed at teaching children about all sorts of things, about being a good friend, take them to factories and see how the crayons are made, and did all sorts of stuff like that, right? Um, his show aired from 1968 to 2001, uh, a long run, and it was all rooted in this distaste, this displeasure he had for how television was teaching children. And so he's like, I'm going to do something about it. And it sort of worked. Um, and he made the show and talked about all sorts of things that weren't usually talked about on television to children and pretty phenomenal. And at the root of that was this song, of course, and this idea of being a neighbor. And no small detail about his life was his faith. Uh, he was a actually an ordained Presbyterian minister. He was going to go in the ministry until this TV thing kind of caught his attention, and he decided that would be the way he'd do ministry. So it was, how does he portray the love of Christ through television? And that was really a big part of his story and what he was all about. And he constantly taught kids that being a neighbor is a good thing. It's a positive thing. And for a lot of us, I think the idea of being a neighbor or the idea of neighboring when the conversations come up, right, it's more about like, oh, man, that neighbor's annoying. They don't mow their yard. They don't, they're rude. They, you know what I mean? Like there's these kind of strange things that come up about neighboring for a lot of people. And, um, but Jesus, we're going to talk about neighboring. Jesus said something really famous that is really where Mr. Rogers kind of rooted everything in. Uh, and he said this really famous line. He says that we must love our neighbors, right? And it's like this sort of feel-good statement that everybody like, oh, yeah, that's good. And, but there's a lot of power in it, and I want to get into it today. And uh, So you can open your Bibles if you have one or open your app or whatever you want to do. Matthew 22, we're going to be starting there. We're going to flip over to Luke 10 in a few minutes and look at that story. So if you're flipping, those are the two passages we'll be in today. By the way, if you ever need a Bible, we have some. They're in the back behind the soundboard on that little table. You can take one if you ever need one. Um, but believe it or not, we're in week number 22 of this series on Jesus. And we've been talking about Jesus and his teachings and his encounters that he had. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about some of the pointed things that Jesus said. A couple weeks ago, we talked about when he said, repent and believe the good news, which was right after the announcement of his kingdom, which was the very first thing he said that we got to do whenever he's like, hey, the kingdom of God is here. So repent and believe. And so we talked about that. And then last week, Caleb talked from Acts 1.8 about how we need to be his witnesses and then goes on, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. So this idea of being his witness, that's obviously a really pointed, heavy statement that Jesus said. And today, I want to talk about this idea that he shares when he says, love your neighbor. But every one of these statements is a very familiar statement to a lot of us who go to church. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know this stuff. But the hope is that these fam in the familiarity, we wouldn't lose the power. That there would be like this idea for us that even in now, even right now, remember how we just sang about something new, there'd be something new in this for us to where we would actually see things that we haven't seen before. Because everything Jesus said 
not just the most pointed statements, have life and bring power, but these ones that were weighty, these ones that were like bigger significance, clear significance, they're supposed to actually change us, aren't they? They're supposed to actually change who we're becoming as a person, who we're becoming as a community, as a church. And so let's get into it, shall we? Jesus actually positions the concept of neighboring as possibly one of his most important statements he ever said. Matthew 22, verse 36, starts like this. This religious leader asks Jesus a question. We are familiar with this verse probably, but it says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? <clears throat> now, we'll stop right there because of, in Israel, the law is something they loved. They loved the law. They loved the Torah, as, as they called the law. The law was synonymous with the word Torah, and a lot of us know what the Torah was. If you don't, the Torah was the first five books of the Bible, the original manuscripts of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They loved the Torah. Rabbis would often say, oh, the Torah, it's the way, the truth, and the life, which sounds very familiar, doesn't it? But Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, hey, this whole law thing, I didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, I didn't come to do away with the Torah. I came to make it walk and breathe and talk. In fact, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a loaded statement, right? To a group of people that said they love the law and the law is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says, no, actually, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus replies to this question, what is the greatest commandment? In verse 37, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We've read this a number of times in this series, right? Now that would be considered, just so you know, right there, that sentence would be considered a really good answer for a rabbi to give. That was taken from what is considered the most sacred text, one of the most sacred texts in the Torah, out of Deuteronomy, uh, I believe it's chapter 6, verse 4, that when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, so love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is out of Deuteronomy. He's just quoting the Torah, right? He's quoting the, the, and this statement, in fact, that verse was so sacred, they had a name for it. It was called the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Shema. Sounding very Hebrew today, it's good. So the Shema was so sacred, so cherished, it was the very first sentence that they would want a child to memorize. The very first part of scripture they'd want them to memorize. And so every child, every Jewish child would learn the Shema. It was sacred, it was holy, it was, it was the thing, right? And here's Jesus, and he says this, and so everybody, when he answers the first and greatest commandment, oh, it's obviously the Shema, duh. And so everybody's like, great answer, Jesus. And then he said, oh, yeah, by the way, I got something else for you. And he says this in verse 39, something very unexpected, staggering. He adds an amendment, and he says, and the second, speaking of commandment, second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law meaning all of the Torah, your loved, cherished Torah, and the prophets, meaning everything since then, hang on these two commands. So the guy's like, hold on, I didn't ask for two commands. I asked for a command, you know? He's like, no, 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 there's two. The second is like, the second is just an important. The second flows from the first. In fact, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So we miss, we, we actually miss something in this, though, for those of us that are are reading this now. We miss how much this would have staggered those who were hearing it. This would have, this would have been like, whoa, 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 what? You just took the Shema and you added to it? 
This would be like taking the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's, can we all do this for a second? Can we, we all know the Pledge of Allegiance. Can we just recite it? Now, if you, don't, if you don't necessarily pledge allegiance to the flag, that's okay. But the rest of us, we can do it. So say it with me. The pledge. Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially for those who live in Oklahoma. This is what Jesus does, right? He like adds to something that was sacred. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm just going to add something to it. And everybody's like, what? So he says, he says this thing and he adds to the sacred Shema. And Jesus was up to something here. He was doing something. And everybody's wondering who has the power to actually do this thing. Because it wasn't like loving your neighbor wasn't in the scripture. It wasn't brand new to them, but it just wasn't elevated to this place that Jesus was elevating it to. And, and there's something terribly important going on here where Jesus, there's this theme in Judaism, which eventually theme goes into Christianity that is always present, but always in danger of being lost. And it's this, it's the notion that you can't, the notion that loving God and loving people are actually tied together. They, they, you can't do one without the other. And, and some people think you can. Have you ever met someone who says they love God but are pretty terrible at loving people? Anybody? Anybody with me? You know that person? Yeah. Don't quit judging them, okay? Yeah, so, but Jesus is saying something different. He's saying, no, no, no. In fact, you cannot love God and not love people. It's, it's impossible. You can't do that. In fact, you can't even love people really good if you don't love God. Jesus, in an act of breathtaking authority and absolute brilliance, because it was brilliant, he weds these two together for the rest of all time. In which he says, you know what? You will not be able to say love God without saying loving others because I'm going to put these two together because the second is just like the first one. And everybody's going, what just happened? You just, you just changed everything about everything. Yeah, that's what he does. If you not love people, then you cannot love God. So this is quoted not once, not twice, but eight times in the Gospels. It becomes known as the greatest commandment. To this day, we call it the greatest commandment. And we often just say the first part, don't we? <laughs> And then, but he says, oh, but the second is like it. And here's what happens. Here's the tension that exists about the greatest commandment is that we actually don't treat the loving your neighbor part like it's part of the greatest commandment. And you're like, well, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, because here's what we do. Here's what we do. We kind of think loving your neighbor means to generally be a good person, a kind person, a nice person, don't we? And so it's like, oh, you're the person at the gas station that says, hey, man, what's up, bro? To the person, right? Like, you're the person that's going to say hello to someone. You're the person that's going to open the door at the Golden Corral and say, you come on in, all right? You know what I mean? I don't know why you're at the Golden Corral, but you are. And, and so the, you're the person that's kind, and therefore you're loving. But, but Jesus was, he wasn't just saying, no, kindness is a part of love, but it is not the absolute definition of love, is it? Love is much more than kindness. And Jesus was actually saying, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, meaning you're going to care for your neighbors the way you care for yourself. You're going to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So you got to think, this is, actually, this is actually transformative. Think about it. When Jesus was asked to reduce everything to one command, he gives us a simple, strategic plan to change the world. Love God and love your neighbor. That's what he says. So for me, this is like, yeah, this is good. I mean, all of us were like, yeah, this is solid, but it begs a few questions. And one of the questions is, is well, who's, who's my neighbor? Like, what does that actually mean? Is it just, just generic, like, you know, love blanket? <laughs> 
just love everybody? Or is there something more specific to it? Am I supposed to love everybody, even my neighbors that have a rooster in the middle of the city, which I had? Do I love them? Do I love the person that just parks their cars in front of my house instead of theirs? What is that about? They have a curb. Do I love them? What about enemies? I mean, whatever, right? Jesus answers the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he makes this amendment to the Shema, and then the expert in the law (laughs) asks another question. We're going to flip over to Luke 10, Luke 10, verse 29. And this is a little bit different story, but a lot of commentators believe it's actually the same story. There's more detail to the story, but nonetheless, this idea of loving your neighbor comes up a number of times in the gospel, and there's different conversations around what it really means, because for them, defining who the neighbor was was really important. And so this religious leader asks a follow-up question about this whole love your neighbor business, because apparently this is a big deal. And he wants, it says this in verse uh, 29, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's saying, okay, if the law says I ought to love my neighbor, Jesus, then who is in the category of neighbor? This is what he's asking. He wants some clear distinction to who am I supposed to love? Who am I obligated to love? Now, believe it or not, there are debates about this in in Israel. There are debates among rabbis about who a neighbor is. One rabbi would say, and this was interesting because rabbis were always about, uh, it's called a yoke, their understanding of of, of of the gospel, their understanding of the, well, not the gospel, understanding of the scripture, and they would interpret it and then they would argue about, oh, I think it means this, I think it means this. And there's always these debates going on. And one of the debates was, who's a neighbor? And one would say, oh, it's people who revere the Torah. That's who a neighbor is. You can lo- you're supposed to love people who revere the Torah. Others would say, ah, I think it's a little more inclusive than that. It's someone who reveres the Torah, but even people who aren't really good at the Torah, but they're in part of Israel, they, they, we should love them too. And then some of these say, oh, you guys, we need to be more inclusive. It's everyone in Israel, even the sinners and the tax collectors, those who are rejecting the Torah, but they're still part of Israel, they're our neighbors. But no one would ever say a Gentile is a neighbor or a Samaritan is a neighbor. They would never say that. They would only say people who are part of Israel are neighbors. And, and so that's what the rabbis would say. And then Jesus comes along and he starts to transform their way of understanding. He wants to add to this fundamental kind of different viewpoint of what a neighbor is. So let's think of it this way. When you when someone says to you that you should do something, there's actually two ways to define the word should. There's the obligation and there's, or there's an opportunity. For example, if someone says you should pay your taxes, that's an obligation, right? Yes, you're right, I should. <laughs> Need to get on that. Someone says you should drive the speed limit. It's the law. We all go, we always drive the speed limit. No. Well, yes, we should, because it's the law. But let's just say a friend comes up to you and says, you know what? You should go to the Golden Corral and try the shrimp buffet. It's to die for. You're like, are you talking literally die? Or <laughs> It's not an obligation to go to the Golden Corral. I don't know why Golden Corral is a theme today, but it is. Sorry, just bear with me. It's not an obligation, is it? It's an opportunity because those shrimps are real good. Sometimes a should is an obligation. Sometimes it's an opportunity. I should, if I said, you should watch the Fred Rogers documentary, it's pretty good. 
It's an opportunity, it's not an obligation. And there are things going on inside this story in which he says, who's my neighbor? Who am I obligated to love? He's saying, who should I love? And he's treating it as an obligation. He's treating it as, he's all been about the law, right? Like checking the boxes. And he's like, I need to know who specifically I'm supposed to love. What, what am I supposed to do? Who should I love? And he's saying, and Jesus says something completely different. Jesus does not invite him into an obligation. He invites him into an opportunity. Do you understand the difference? Jesus is actually not saying, he is not saying to this person, I want you to go love this person because you have to. He is inviting him into God, because in God's kingdom, love is actually our greatest opportunity. It's actually why we live. It's actually how we live and experience life. Because the more you love, the more you live. That's just the way it is with God. So Jesus decides to answer this guy's question. If you know the story, you could probably tell it for me. But he, he answers this guy's question when he says, well, who's my neighbor? Which, to be honest with you, I think is a pretty fair question, even in our culture today. Like, am I really supposed to love everyone? Well, then he tells him this story. The man asks, who's his neighbor? And then in verse 30, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So this is all that Jesus says about this guy traveling from Jericho. We don't know if he's a good guy. We don't know if he's a bad guy. We don't know if he's a Roman. We don't know if he's an Israelite. We don't know anything about him. We just know he's lying in a ditch, almost dead, all right? And then there's three different people that come along in this story, and they all have the opportunity to love thy neighbor, right? And here we go, the first one, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So a priest is educated in what? The law, the Torah, exactly. He knows it frontwards and backwards, and he knows exactly what he's supposed to do, but what does he do instead? He passes by on the other side. He knows what God's love is, and he knows it's supposed to be, and he doesn't do it. Verse 32, another person comes along. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, meaning the half-dead guy, he passed by him on the other side. Now, a Levite is someone who works with priests and is very religious and devout as well. They know the law backwards and forwards. And this guy, too, passes by on the other side. And then in verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, this, this is like the punchline to the story, in case you've read it a number of times, um, which you probably have, a lot of you have. This is the punchline because a lot of you know this. A uh, Samaritan, of course, was despised. They were, um, they were sometimes uh, considered enemies of God by many people. And we could see it like this. A lot of people would say, the only good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. That's the way they would say it in Israel, right? If you know the story, the Samaritan helps. What happens in the story? The Samaritan helps the man. The Samaritan helps the man out of the ditch. He gets him into a, gets him into a hotel. He actually nurses the guy back to health, doesn't he? He takes care of the guy's needs. But it says that he had compassion. And here's what I want to sit on for just a second. What does that even mean? I think it could mean a lot of things, but I think it could mean this, that when the guy was walking by him, just put it in the context of the story, he wasn't so preoccupied with himself. He actually started thinking about what, if, what would it be like to be a guy in a ditch? <laughs> what if that was me? And he started to think about this in terms of what would I want someone to do if I was, that was me? So he stopped, and he, and he helped the man. He probably asked who would help him if he didn't. He probably said, I should do something. I should change this. 
what else do I have to do today that's more important than this? Now, this is actually really vital. This is really important. Because how did the priest and the Levite answer those questions? They didn't have those questions. They weren't thinking, what if that was me? <laughs> they weren't thinking, how does this feel to be naked and alone and beaten and half dead? They weren't th- what, what were they thinking about? They were preoccupied with themselves to some degree, probably to a full degree. A lot of people, have, if you've ever heard this preached, a lot of people say, oh, they were in a hurry. I don't know if they were in a hurry. Here's what I do know, though. They weren't thinking about anybody but themselves. Martin Luther King Jr., he was a preacher, by the way, famous preacher. Everybody knows him as a preacher. Just kidding. Most people don't know him as a preacher, but he was giving a sermon on, um, on the Good Samaritan, and he said, the priest and the Levite walked by, and they were thinking, what will happen if I stop to me? While the Samaritan walked by, he was like, what will happen when I stop, if I don't stop to him? And this is the difference in compassion, right? And so there's this, Jesus actually talks about this a lot. He talks about how good fruit comes from, or a good tree produces good fruit, right? And so there's that, in that idea is that out of, if there's good coming out of you, out of the flow of the consciousness of your mind, like what's coming out of it? Is it, is it thoughts that are actually full of compassion and good and good, essentially good fruit? Or is, it, or is it things that are essentially preoccupied with self and what is on your own agenda and your own needs? And so a good tree produces good fruit. And I think for a lot of us, if we're really thinking about what preoccupies our time and what preoccupies our priorities, they aren't necessarily things outside of ourselves. And this is, what, this is what religion can do, by the way. Whenever we think religion isn't about actual action, but it's about the law. Anyway, so Jesus comes to the end of the story, and in verse 36, he asks the guy who asked him the question a question. He says, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? which I love it because he changes the question. The guy's like, well, who's my neighbor? And he goes, well, which one was a neighbor in this story? The question was originally, who is my neighbor? And Jesus has changed the question significantly. He actually asked, what does it mean to be a neighbor? Who is the neighbor? He's essentially asking, instead of the guy saying, who's my neighbor, he's asking him, will you be a neighbor? <laughs> so the guy, it's so funny because the guy goes, um, uh, Okay, the expert, we could put that in quotes, right? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Now, do you notice that he didn't say the Samaritan? Because he can't even say it. He hates the guy, and he's like, I can't even say Samaritan. So he's like, I guess the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, well, go and do likewise. He tells us to go and do, not as an obligation out of what we should do, but as an opportunity of who we could be an opportunity of who we should be. It's actually really big for us. Jesus doesn't invite us into a life of obligation of who we should be. He invites us into a life of opportunity of who we could be. I don't know if you've ever heard, you probably have, I don't know what I'm saying, if you've ever heard this, but you know the, the illustration of big rocks in your life. Like, these are the big rocks that I have. These are the big foundational things of who I am. And so, a lot of people say the big rocks of their life are things like family and work or career and recreation or faith. And so these are the things that consume, the big rocks consume our time, 
our energy, they consume who we are, they consume our money, These, because a lot of them are really important. And so sometimes, you know, one of the big rocks is, of course, maybe our, even our faith. And, and if we came to this and we said, Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor. I think that would qualify that this should become a big rock in our life. That this should be something that we would say is a big rock. But I, I don't know how it's a, how, if it's a big rock for many of us. I think it may be sort of like a pebble for a lot of us. But the, the idea that all, we might say, well, yeah, faith is a big rock. But I would say, no, no, no. I'm not asking about does the idea of faith take up a big priority in your heart and life? What I'm saying is does the idea of the greatest commandment is it a big rock in your life? Is it more than just an idea of your beliefs? A lot of, a lot of faith is categorized in this intangible sort of like mind space and heart space, right? But Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to actually transform that because a lot of people just said, oh, let's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Which, where's that? It's in your heart, mind, soul, <laughs> and strength, I guess. I mean, I don't know. But where's loving your neighbor? It's external. It's not internal, is it? It's like saying, oh, yeah, if you want to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we're actually going to see it. And that's when it becomes a big rock in your life. If your faith is something that is an internal matter, if your faith is something that just sort of exists within you, I'm telling you it's not what Jesus commanded as his greatest commandment. And that's why I say, I think Loving your neighbors actually become one of the most ignored commands in the Bible. Here's Jesus telling us plainly what the greatest commandment is. And he's saying, this should be a big rock in your life. So I want to end, I want to end with an, an opportunity, if you will. I should have type of opportunity, right? I, I, we all should love our neighbors. We get it. We, we get it. I bring, bringing life to our city, it brings life to us. The more you love, the more you give. I mean, the more you live, all that kind of stuff. But let's think about this from a practical way. I wanted to give us some of the, this is what the Jesus said about it, pretty significant stuff, but I want to give us some practical because, you know, when we started our church five, six years ago, we talked a lot about loving your neighbor, and it was actually for two years what we said, we're not going to do any other cause in our church except loving your neighbor. We want to learn how to love our neighbors, and we talked about it a lot, a lot, a lot. And really, since then, it's become what we call one of our initiatives. We say it frequently. You see it on the screen here and there. But this, has been the, this is the first time, actually, in three years that we've done a dedicated Sunday to the idea of loving our neighbor. And here's what I was, here's what I was hoping, is that the, if for those who have been here a while, that the familiarity of it would not, would not detract from the power of it. And those who are new to this, that... We would all share in something, what we sang about earlier, that we would see something new, that there'd be a new breakthrough in what this means for us. And so I want to talk about this from a practical level because I believe we really need it there, and that's where it starts to become more than just an idea, but becomes actually lived out in our life. So let's start with just talking about our literal neighbors, those who live nearest to us, those who live on our streets or in our apartment complexes or in our dorm halls or, or wherever it is you live, um, those who live closest to us. I want to show you a slide, uh, kind of an image, something that I, we used a number of years ago, but we haven't used it in a while. But imagine this is your neighborhood, your apartment complex or whatever, and you have, um, these are the people who like live closest to you. And if I was going to test you right now and say, how many people uh, do you know by name that live close to you? And if, I, if you were going to say, well, next door, this is their names, and the next door to that is their names, and how many would you be able to fill out? 
How many would you be able to know? If I was going to test you with this, I think for a lot of us what would happen is, for a lot of us, we're not really, we don't really know our neighbors' names. They're just sort of nameless faces that we know more about their habits of yard care, right? Like, that's what we know. We may occasionally wave at them when we drive by. Oh, hey, good to see you. Yeah, yeah. And then if you have a conversation like awkwardly, oh, by the way, we're walking in the street at the same time, and then you have to talk to them. It's like, oh, hey, hey, man, uh, what's up, girl? Because two years ago... <laughs> Two years ago, they told you your name, but then you forgot their name, and so they are forever girl and man. That's just funny to call people by, like, kind of what they're classified in, kind of the human bi- biological, co- anyway, sorry, man. Sorry, man. Um, so, uh, anyway, I ask you, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but if I was going to test you in this, and I want you to kind of do it right now, like, how many names do I know? Would you fit in the zero to two category? Would you fit in the three to four category? Would you fit in the five to eight? And I'm talking households, not like if someone next door has eight people, that does not count as eight. A group in, <laughs> a group in Denver who has worked really hard at trying to figure out how will people know their neighbors because they believe that actually um, to love your neighbor, you actually need to know their names. And so they just started there. They're like, how many people actually know names of their neighbors? And they found that the vast majority of Americans live in the zero to two category, vast majority, and only 5% of Americans actually know eight or more neighbors' names, meaning eight households that are closest to them. That they Only 5%, 95% of us, we exist below that line. And maybe that's normal, I don't know why, but it, it makes me ask, why is this? What is going on? What's happening in our culture where we just don't even really pay attention to those who live right around us? And... I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of cultural things like garage door openers where we just go in our garage and go in the house. We never come out. Like air conditioning, it makes us stay in the house instead of go outside. There's stuff like that that's happened over the last 60 years that's a real thing that's actually caused us to be inside of our homes more than outside of our homes. But I think it goes a little bit back to what Jesus often talked about when he talks about good fruit, good fruit and good trees and all this kind of stuff. A lot of us are so preoccupied with ourselves that we don't even think about knowing other people, right? It's kind of like the priest and the Levite. We walk by on the other side because we are so preoccupied with our own lives and our own needs that we aren't actually thinking about the good that we can do in our neighborhood or in our workplaces. And this is the real truth about it, right? And I actually believe this. If love isn't easy, we just don't give it. Most of us are really good at loving in easy circumstances, right? Oh, it's really easy to love these people. They're close to me. I love them. I mean, they're family, whatever. But whenever love becomes challenging, where it's actually like, I don't even know if they want to receive my love, we usually back away. I do this. You do this. We all do this. Where love, when it's not an easy act, we usually retreat. And so loving your neighbor, actually, we are really good at loving when it's easy, but very, it's, it, takes, it takes courage and it takes it takes trusting in the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit's work in us to actually go in love when it's difficult and when it's challenging. So I say all that, not because I feel like we're failing. I think there's a lot of people that are doing really, they're trying to make efforts in this. And a lot of you are doing it. And I, heard a lot of, I hear a lot of stories about how people are working on this, making real efforts to love your neighbors if it's at work or in your neighborhoods. And I heard a story the other day of people having their neighbors over for dinner, and I love hearing that. I, I love seeing stories of people, not just neighborhoods, by the way. Sometimes it's workplaces. Sometimes it's church neighbors. I know that there's people who make efforts with some of our people in our homeless community. They're our neighbors, too. They're in our community, and you, and you reach out to them and say, how can we be, be a person to help you in, ne- in your needs and things like that? I've, I've heard these stories, and they're good. And, you know, our family, 
Um, we had a pretty good story with one of our neighbors uh, this year, Addie. Addie was, uh, had a school project where she was supposed to grow a cabbage. Now, this may surprise you, but me and Christy, we, we didn't know how to grow a cabbage. I mean, outside of putting in the dirt and putting a little water on it. But our neighbor, we knew, probably did. And so Christy said, hey, um, neighbor, do you want to help uh, Addie with this school project where she's trying to grow the biggest uh, cabbage in the world? And she said, Addie, we're going to win this contest. And so they got, what was really cool about that and what I'm, why I'm sharing the story is <laughs> some, I, I think the picture just went up. I'm just guessing. Um, <clears throat> so what happened in that is that there was this constant interaction around a cabbage. And I, I just want to say, like, I'm not saying that's like the end-all, be-all of loving your neighbor, but trying to find ways to interact with your neighbors is what I'm talking about learning their names, being intentional, and we've grown our friendship. And by the way, I, I Googled it up, and a, a regular cabbage is um, two pounds, an average cabbage. That one weighed in 5.2 pounds of cabbage, um, which that's a lot of cabbage, because I know about it. We ate cabbage stew for four and a half weeks. It was, uh, I'm just kidding, we didn't. <laughs> You're like, wow. Um, God is working in our family um, with this command to love our neighbors for seven or eight years now, maybe longer, and we've hosted neighborhood parties. We've helped inspire neighbors to host neighborhood parties, and we've ministered in times of need that they have. And I say all that just to say, like, we're trying to figure it out. We're not. Sometimes we've done really bad at it, and we've been like, man, we've not been good neighbors. And other times we've done better at it, and and that's just, I, I think that's okay, What but what I want us to hear today is this should be a big rock in our life. And not just about the people that live closest to you. It could be, it could be the people that you are next to you in a cubicle or next to you in your workplace or the people you work with. I, I get it. Everybody wants to define neighbors a little differently. But I'll say this. Um, often when everyone is your neighbor, no one is. Like, if you just put the big love blanket out there and just you don't have names with faces, I'm telling you, like, well, nothing intentional happens. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, I, I, we put some resources on our website. We put, that, uh, we put this grid up there. You can, you can print it off, and you can, you can write your neighbor's names on it and, uh, and start to learn them, put it on your fridge or something like that. And... We also have a, a how to throw a neighborhood party, like pro tips <laughs> on how to do that. And um, so if some of you are thinking, a uh, party is way too fast for me, like too much too fast. Okay, cool, don't do a party. Learn the names then. That's what we're saying. Like start, start somewhere and, uh, and begin that. And in the seat back in front of you uh, are, these, are these, we wanted to give you a lot of practical things, are these cards that look like this. They call the Love Your Neighbor. And you can just pull that out right now. That'd be great. Uh, you don't have to read through it yet. You can take this home with you. We want you to take it home. Everyone, we got plenty, so just everyone take one. Um, but these these are just simple ideas of what you could do between now and the end of the year. Because this kind of year, this time of year, Halloween, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's an easy time to like walk across the street to a neighbor and 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 create something around those um, this time of year. And so, so some of these are just silly ideas. Some of these are fun ideas. Some of these are really really practical ideas. Um, but the idea is that you would do something. You know, a few years ago when we moved into our new neighborhood, we didn't know anybody's names. And so this is just an idea for you. Uh, we, we went trick-or-treating with our kids, 
And I just walked over, I took a little piece of paper and pen with me, and I just walked up to every neighbor and be like, hey, I'm Tim. And they would tell me their name, and then I'd walk away and be like, <laughs> and I'd write the name down because, and then I went home and I put it on my grid and I put it on my fridge, and now I know everybody's name. Because if I would have said, what's your name, and then walked away that Halloween and then didn't see him for three or four months, guess what? Sup, man? <laughs> Yo, bro. And so I, I, I'm just saying you're going to forget their names. And, I, and, and there's so much power in three months later, because sometimes that's how long it takes with neighbors, um, because they're not trying to be intentional like you are. So you're standing out to your yard, like watering your yard, like maybe they're going to come out or something. I don't know. I've done that before. <laughs> and they don't come out. You know what I mean? And so it takes a while. And then you're like, and then you walk up to them and you say their name. And they're like, well, I mean, that's powerful. And so I, the simplest thing sometimes generates a relationship and it generates not just an acquaintance but a friendship and a friendship leads to the opportunity to show them love maybe like they've never felt before or experienced before maybe you could be the best neighbor in your neighborhood maybe you could be the best neighbor that person's ever had and, and I think that's what Jesus is calling us to I think that's the kind of vision that he wants to give each and every one of us and, and so I, I would encourage you to take these handouts these are um, that Micah put together for us which are really practical and and just do something. Because these are things you should do as an opportunity, not as an obligation. You know, I said a minute ago, when everyone your neighbor, often no one is. Um, this is not an obligation, but it's an opportunity to step into the life that Jesus called us to live. Which, I'm telling you, is a better life. It's a life full of life. And this needs to be a big rock because what we believe is most important to us, those are the things we actually do. And so if love is important to you, you'll actually do it. If reading scripture is important to you, if being in community, if, if, whatever, if those things are important to you, you'll actually do them because otherwise, if you say they're important to you but you don't actually do them, are they really important to you? You know what I'm saying? If you say they're important to you but you don't actually do them, then are they important to you? Do you guys remember uh, Mr. Rogers, where we started this morning? He would take us every week to the neighborhood of make-believe. You remember that? He'd take you to the neighborhood of make-believe. That's where Daniel Tiger and all the friends were and the puppets were. And, and sometimes I think for us in our faith, we live in a little bit of a neighborhood of make-believe where we believe that we're loving our neighbors. We believe that we're doing all these things, but it's just in our heads and there's actually no reality to it, to where we're actually doing the shameful walk across the street to say, you know what? We've lived together by each other for years and I'm sorry, I've never actually met you. You with me now? See, the idea that Jesus calls us to, what I love what he does is he says, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You guys have been saying that forever. I get it. But I actually want you to understand that when you do that, it's going to change you, and it's going to change everything about you, and you're actually going to go, and you're going to change people's lives because of your love for me. Not because, you see, there's another scripture that talks about obedience, that we're supposed to obey Jesus, right, or obey the Lord, obey God. But what does it say with it? If you love me, you'll obey me. It doesn't say, obey me, period. If we love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we will obey him. So that's why it's a command. 
And that command is then to go and do likewise, which is to go and be a neighbor. Jesus changes the question. It's not who is my neighbor, it is who will be a neighbor. Will you be a neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Right? I don't know, I love this stuff. Jesus is good. He leads us to a better life. He changes us to be better people. And, and, and we want this to be who we are as a people, as a church, that we would know how to love our neighbors, not just in your neighborhoods, but as a church body, how do we love our neighbors in our community? I think, I think we can, and we do it. We do it well, but I, I want to I challenge us. It's not just what we do as a leadership of this church for this community. You know what I mean? It's not just the events we create. It's not just, it's not just the way that me or Steven or Micah or Chrissy or, who, or Leslie or whoever does stuff around. It's, it's about what are we doing to love this, the neighbors right here? And I know you all live different places, so we have a lot of neighbors. We have a lot of ground to cover. I get it. So here's what I'm doing to close. I want to go back to your, your life. On the back of this card are three houses and... Uh, and I want you to just start thinking about neighbors. <laughs> and some of you are like, well, I was in the zero to two category, so that's okay. Um, if, you, if you know anybody, <laughs> write their name down. And so what I'm, what I, if we're gonna love our neighbors, we're gonna have to pray for them too. Just so you know, you can't really love someone if you never pray for them, if you're a believer in Jesus. And so um, I would say, write some names down. If you're like, okay, um, this is just a person I thought of, write them down. If it's a next door neighbor, if it's a neighbor down the street, if it's a neighbor at work, if it's a neighbor of person, it's just a person you know in need, write their name down. You might write just one down, you might write three down today, but I wanna give you just a minute today to pray for the names that you write down. So if you'd bow your heads, but don't close your eyes. If you need to grab a pen and just think for a minute and write some names down. I'll give you just a moment. Once you write their names down, maybe just say a prayer. Just pray over them. It may be a prayer for a need you know they have. It may be a prayer for God to move in their life. It may be a prayer for a friendship between you and them to form. Just say a prayer for them on your own. Just start praying right now. I'm just going to say a prayer for us now as a community over the names that you just wrote down. Father, I just want to pray. I just want to pray for every name that was written down today. Uh, you know them, you know their story, you know where they're at. And Lord, we just pray right now your love would intersect them this week. That Lord, if it's today that you just want to come around them and surround them with your love, if it's, if it's this week through a person, through one of us, Lord, I just pray that when they experience that love, that they would acknowledge in their own heart that it was, that it was of you and that God, you'd begin doing a work in their life, even if they already know you that you do a work, even as we're praying for ourselves today, a new work. We pray that over our friends, over our neighbors, over our coworkers, our classmates. Lord, I pray too for us as a church community that Lord, we would get this and it would be a big rock, not only for us as a church, but for each of us as people, that Lord, we take your greatest commandment that you said when people ask you directly, and we'd remember, Lord, that you reduced all of that to one simple strategic plan to change the world, Father, to love you and to love others. And so, Father, I pray that in Jesus' name that, Lord, we would walk out of here empowered with that vision, hopeful for it, changed by it, because, Lord, we do believe you change everything about everything, and that includes us. And so, Lord, we pray that today 
in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.